that have been won in your life. And then think about like how that responsibility you have back to Jesus. The very fact that he would die for us and save us from our sins and, and from an eternity in hell is cause enough for us to bow before him and humble surrender to his lordship in our lives. And But a lot of people don't. If we acknowledge the fact that he saved us, we're also admitting the truth that, well, we owe him our very lives. We owe him us. Second Samuel chapter 5, the nation of Israel gathered together to David at Hebron to officially accept and receive him as king over the entire nation of Israel. Though they knew that God had appointed him and given him the throne, they still waited years before acknowledging his rightful place over them. What about you? Who has the final say in your life? Who is your king? Sometimes we set ourselves up as the final authority for ourselves, but if we've accepted Christ as Savior, Jesus alone deserves to sit on the throne of our hearts. In today's message, Pastor Mark will encourage us to stop procrastinating and finally make Jesus our Lord. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5 with today's edition of Come Alive. 2 Samuel chapter 5 says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in the time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel, and David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So in verse 1, it says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. And if you look right there, here's what these guys do. And, and I kind of wonder, what took them so long? What took these guys so long to acknowledge a relationship? I mean, some of the things that they say later on, you, you see that they're like, Well, you know, we know that God did this, and we know it's of the Lord. And so what took you so long to get here? So they come to David acknowledging the fact that there is a family relationship between them, that they are related. We know because they are the children of Israel. The tribe of Judah is one of the 12 tribes, so to speak, a, a brother. And so one of the first steps in, in, in this whole yielding control of your life totally to the rule of a king is you realize that you need a king. You need someone over you. So they're saying, David, we're connected by blood is what they say. We're, we're we're, we're uh, your relatives. Only one with family connections would have been able to fit to rule over them. And so here, again, one of the first steps of yielding control of your life uh, to let Jesus rule your life is to recognize our connection to him. He is one of our family members now that we have come forward and said, be my Lord, be my Savior. 
See, he's qualified to be our king because he died on the cross to redeem us from our sins. And if you're taking notes, you can write down some of these verses. We're not going to look at them or read them, but 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Revelation 1, verse 5, and Isaiah 53, 4 through 8. All these talk about what Jesus has done for us to buy us back, to buy us out of the bondage of slavery of sin. And so when we come to him for salvation, because we are connected to him by his blood, when we come to him by that salvation, by saying, hey, you know what? Here's what I want to do. I just want to surrender my life. I, you know, I do a pretty good job with it myself, but there's these areas that are always getting messed up. I'm always just messing them up really bad. And not that it ever really stops. I mean, I still have messed up parts of my life, but I, I'm connected to the Lord. It's not that he makes my life perfect. He makes it perfectly joyful, even in the bad times. That doesn't mean I'm celebrating the bad things, but it just means that there's that underlying joy knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how dark it is in front of me. And so when we came to him for salvation, we became connected to him by his blood. When we said, Lord, we want you as our savior, as our king. And so in other words, a person who comes to Jesus for salvation also understands that he or she is saying goodbye to the old life, as we kind of talked about on Wednesday, taking off those old dirty clothes and putting on new clothing, and saying goodbye to the old life of sin and hell and a new life of service and submission to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, we'll look at that verse. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, that doesn't mean when you come to know Jesus that you get a new car, new house, new set of clothes, but in a sense, you get a new house, and a new set of clothes. And maybe, let's say for a car's sake, you get a new set of shoes because you get a new walk. And you get a new place to live when you die. And the new clothes you put on are what other people see and how you display that Christianity in front of them, that love, that care, and that hope. And so a lot of times, a lot of people just, they don't understand. Like, oh, you guys say all these weird things. And, and yeah, oh, we do. We have a relationship with Jesus. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now that's not to anyone else except for Christians. And we said it last week, we've said it before, and I'll say it again. You, as a Christian, have a relationship with God that nobody else, you have access to God, no one else has access to God. Just the Christians. And you might think, well, no, 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 that's not right. No, 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 that's true. That's what the Bible tells us. That we used to be in darkness, and now we're in light because we are in Jesus. Because we have given our lives over to Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. So you can't have Jesus as your Savior if you're unwilling to have him as your Lord. You really can't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you're unwilling to have him as your Lord and, and, and he's going to be your Savior, I mean, how does that work? How do you have a Savior and, and, and not willing to do what he asks of us? It's impossible to hold the Lord with one hand while still clinging on and holding on to the world with the other hand. 
And so I know some will disagree, but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is still and always will be the Lord Jesus Christ. He will always be the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you got him, you didn't get part of him. You got all or nothing. And the cool thing about that is, is if we flip that, does he have all of you? Or does he have just parts of you? Because, I mean, that's not really a good life at all to have. Look at verse 2 in 2 Samuel. Back to 2 Samuel, verse 2. It says, also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And so here, they acknowledge a responsibility. So first of all, they acknowledge a relationship, and now they acknowledge a responsibility. And so they, Israel remembers the heroic deeds of David. They remember the things that David did. This is talking about Goliath. They remember a young boy with a slingshot and a rock? And a giant with the latest and greatest best army armor and weaponry. And so they remember his power and the victories that God gave Israel when he was leading the armies. They remember all those things that David had done in the past. And so they remember all that David has done for that nation. And they realize that they have a responsibility now that they have that, well, they have a job to do. They have to bow before their king. They have to bow before him. And if we would just stop and think of what Jesus has done for us, we would immediately see our responsibility to him. Think about the battles that have been won in your life. And then think about like how that responsibility you have back to Jesus. The very fact that he would die for us and save us from our sins and, and from an eternity in hell is cause enough for us to bow before him in humble surrender to his lordship in our lives. And, but a lot of people don't. If we acknowledge the fact that he saved us, we're also admitting the truth that, well, we owe him our very lives. We owe him us, all of us, not part of us. Because if he gave all for us, doesn't it just make sense that we would give all for him? I mean, I mean, think about it. The very least we can do is to surrender to him as our Lord and our King. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about being that living sacrifice, being transformed and not conformed. And a lot of times in the Christian church, we see that, well, the Christian is just conformed to the ways of the world. They just adapt, and then they throw cute little sayings and try to act their very best. Look at the other part of verse 2. And it says, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. So here they acknowledge a revelation. They acknowledge the revelation. And so they verbalize their understanding of the fact that David was king of Israel by the will of God. And they seem to grasp that truth. They seem to grasp that truth that to bow to David was as their king is to bow to the will of God for their lives. And oftentimes, you know, we grasp that. We, maybe we understand it and we say, I know I need to do this. I know this is important for me to do. But yet we don't do it. And so when we grasp that truth, really hold on to it and say, yeah, this is what I need to do. And we really do it. Well, you'll start to see a real, a really change in your life. And so they acknowledge that revelation. So it is in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. You see it on signs and billboards. Not because I say so or not because somebody else with a sign or billboard says so. Because God has said so. God has said that. And so 
Our duty to him is to bow to him, acknowledge him to be Lord of all, and do our best to honor him as Savior, as our Lord, as our God, and as our King. And when you think about that, when you bow to, to somebody that is a Savior, a Lord, a God, and a King, those four things, then you really have no place else to turn except for surrender. Well, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? After all, we give an account to him, and someday we were going we're gonna to be face-to-face. Everybody's going to be face-to-face with Jesus someday. You know, there's there's never, you know, the atheist or whatever. He's not going to be atheist when he dies because he's going to be face-to-face with Jesus. And he can tell Jesus that he doesn't believe and how upset he is, but I don't think you really get that choice. I think if you're an atheist and you come face-to-face with Jesus, it's going to be kind of like, uh-oh. What do you do then? Because it's too late. It'll be too late. And so... You know, we, we're going to give account to him someday and how we've responded to his lordship in our lives. For us as Christians, one day you're going to have to stand there and say, okay, well, this is what I've done for you. How long will your list be? Will it be, well, you know, I raised my kids. Well, hopefully. Any good parent will do that. Animals will do that. And then what else? Well, you know, um, I went to church on Sundays. What did you do with what you learned in church? Oh, what are you doing with that knowledge? Because if you just went to church to get smart so you'd have something cool to post, well, what are you doing with it in real life? And, and one of the things I was looking at, I forget the numbers, but I think it was like 52 times that Jesus talks about going out and talking to people, ministering to people, and out of those 52 times, 42 of those were done in the marketplace. Not in the synagogue or the temple, but in the marketplace. Where people worked, the marketplace is, and where people shopped is what the marketplace was. It's where God has you. Jesus ministered, and we're always like, well, I want to be like Christ. Okay, then cool. Out in the marketplace, at work, and in those places, then be like him. Do what he did. And so, again, we will one day give an account of how we responded to his lordship in our lives. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so... We need to understand that as well, even as Christians. Look at verse 3. It says, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And so after two years of struggle and civil war, all the people of Israel come to David. They anoint him king over the entire land. And again, anointing speaks of empowering the authority, and the ability to do that which God has called one to do. And so this is the third time David is anointed for his office. And you might be thinking, well, why so many times? Wasn't the first time good enough? Or or the second time back there in chapter 2? Did did these guys not read chapter 2? But why, why a third time? Well, again, the third time, the first was 1 Samuel 16. And remember who was present there? Samuel and his brothers, David's brothers, and and David's dad. He was anointed before his family. And this is always where the first anointing comes from. When you think about God anointing you for some type of service in your life, well, it usually happens before your family. If it doesn't work at home, it's not going to work at all. You know, guys who always are like, hey, I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay, cool. Well, how are you doing this at home? You know, what would your wife and your kids say about that? Oh, man, no. Well, get it right there, your first ministry. And then, you know, maybe there's a season of growing. So 
If it's not working at home, it's not going to work anywhere else. And so they knew it was real. His family knew it was real. They saw Samuel pour the oil on David, but it wasn't real until, because remember what his brothers did to him still? He was his little shepherd boy, and they probably thought, well, one of us should be it. I mean, look at us. We're better. We're bigger. We're older. We're in the army. We're tough dudes. We can be anointed king. But yet, it wasn't real until he defeated Goliath. It wasn't real until he defeated that giant thing in his life that he came face to face with. Maybe for you, you want to serve, you want to do something, but is there a giant in your life that's standing in the way that you, you're just kind of trying to walk around? And you know, you always hear that saying, there's an elephant in the room and people just throw things on it and try to make it look like a clothes rack or make it lay down and it's a gigantic beanbag that just really stinks. There's that elephant in your life that just stinks, that sin or whatever it may be. Defeat it and let the Lord work. And so Samuel pours the oil on David. And again, it wasn't real to his brothers and his family until he defeated Goliath. The second time David's anointed was by the people of Judah, uh, just in chapter 2, verse 4. Before his tribe, and not a whole nation, but just before his tribe, his guys, his people, maybe his neighborhood, if we want to put it in modern vernacular. Why? Well, for seven and a half years, he didn't take anything into his own hands. He didn't do anything really in in his own hands. Remember, he never really, though Saul was close to him in the cave, he didn't kill him. He just cut off a piece of his robe as he was going potty. And he even felt guilty over that. He didn't kill Saul when he had that opportunity. He didn't kill Ishbosheth, who was the king of Israel. Remember, they're a divided nation. He didn't kill him. He didn't even want to see Abner killed. Last week we read about how David mourned the death of Abner and had a couple of guys beheaded. Instead, he had faith in God and he just kind of plugged away day after day, month after year. And doing what God had called him to do. And I bet his advisors were saying, bro, dude, take control. I mean, at any time you could be king. You've been anointed. It's your spot. It's for you. Do it. But David's faithful in those little things, just plugging along, going along, faithfully serving his tribe. He had faith that God would do what was right in due season. A lot of times we want to run ahead. We want to take matters into our own hands and try to push ourselves more forward than we really do. And we're not really, well, we really don't see the outcome. We don't carry it through to a logical conclusion. We just kind of say, well, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. And we run head on to it, kind of like the guy who is chasing Abner, pursuing something so hard and so fast, and yet Abner, as he's running away and saying, hey, look, bro, I'm a skilled warrior. I could kill you any moment. Just stop. Quit. And yet, when he stops and tries to slow him down, the guy's running so fast, the blunt end, the back end, the part that you hold on to throw, the spear goes right through this guy and kills him. Sometimes that's us. We pursue things so hard, so fast that those blunt things, they hurt a lot worse than a sharp instrument. Sharp instrument, if you cut yourself, you don't feel it until after the sting starts. A blunt instrument, you feel it all the way through, and it hurts. So instead, he had faith in God and plugged away day after day and month after year. And so, again, no matter who's telling you to take control, be faithful to God and just say, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Check with him first. So not in Only in family does God confirm it, but also in peers. 
And so they will sense what God is doing in and through whatever task God has put before you. Think about that. If you're faithful in doing those small things, God will give you bigger things is what the Bible says. So don't despise those days of small beginnings. The third thing is, the third time he's anointed is right now. The entire nation. The entire nation of Israel. So in front of his family, we saw humility and hope. In front of his bros, in front of his peers, before his tribe, we saw faithfulness. And now before the nation, we see love. Love. He mourned for Saul, and he mourned for Abner. And his enemies, well, basically, these people probably thought that when Abner was killed, that David had it done, because it was done by David's guys. They would assume that to be so. And so he mourns them. He, he has a time of mourning. He was anointed after the people saw him as a man of grace, mercy, and love. And, and these three great attributes, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, are there. They're faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love are those three great attributes of, of 1 Corinthians 13. And so here they're finished. The people come to David, and it's like they're saying, man, we're really kind of finished with this partial submission thing. We're we're tired of it. We're tired of being divided. We're tired of being two kingdoms. We're tired of worrying about whether you're going to attack and and if we need to attack. We're tired of worrying about how we're going to get and how what's happening next. And so they're finished with that partial submission. They crown David king of Israel, and as they do, they acknowledge these great truths that David is a man of faith, hope, and love. And see, these are important to our understanding of what it means for Jesus to be our king as well. Uh, Anointing, again, speaks of empowering to the authority, the ability to do that which God has called you to do. That's the definition. And so, again, yielding control of your life totally to the rule of Jesus. So he's qualified to be our king because he died on that cross to, to redeem us from our sins. And it's worth mentioning again. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. And in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. In Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and all of Judah. So throughout Scripture, it's kind of a cool thing that I was, I was looking at this yesterday, and I just kind of caught this at the age of 30. Throughout Scripture, sometimes age 30 seems to be very significant. Joseph, if you remember Joseph, around age 30, he began his reign in Egypt uh, as the prime minister. The priests uh, for the temple, well, they couldn't begin their ministry until they were 30 years old. And then Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30. And so now, seven years after David begins his reign, he becomes king over all Israel at the age of 30. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor Mark's teaching in the book of 2 Samuel. We wish we had more time to spend with you, but sadly, we need to wrap up our broadcast today. Right now, though, you can hear more from Come Alive by visiting our website. At Come Alive Radio, you'll be able to listen to past teachings, connect with us on Instagram, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, too, so consider yourself invited to our Sunday services at Calvary Chapel Katy. You can find out more at comealiveradio.com or give us a call at 281-391-5503. Be sure to let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer. Before we end our time with you, Tracy has a request to share. Here at Come Alive, we want to make sure we're following God. 
not what other people around us are saying. With everything we do, we want to honor our Creator and point people to salvation. That's where you come in. We'd appreciate your prayers for Pastor Mark and all of us here at Come Alive. Would you lift us up to the Lord each time you listen to our program? Thank you for interceding on our behalf. Would you consider donating to Come Alive too? Any amount is helpful, and you can easily donate by texting 77977. That's 77977. Thank you so much for prayerfully considering this, and thanks for tuning in to Come Alive.